Uh, welcome back to the Funny Books and Firewater podcast. We're a drinking podcast. Where's the comic book problem? Shake the shit out of it. What? No rambling? It's because we've been doing this for too long. Too damn long. 200 because episodes. Because we're, we're too good at it. We'll just go with that. I wouldn't even we're say that. We're too good. It's too long. The rent is too damn high. The rent. Don't you have to do something for 1,000 hours to be good at it? I, or to be an expert? 10,000 hours. is 10,000 hours? Oh, then we're way off of that. Yeah, but in our world, apparently, if you lost more than eight hours, you're good. So... I mean, who knows? So I mean, that's right. about as long as our first episode was. Yeah. Well, I cut the first episode up into two. Yeah. Uh, and it was like two hours a piece, I think. I don't know. I, I, I haven't so. been brave enough to go back and look. You know, I haven't even gotten to Yeah, I don't know. No. Yeah, just don't. Just don't. But yes, this is our 200th episode now. of the Funny Books and Firewater podcast. Uh, we are continuing our month of female anti-hero books. Um, we have a truncated group with us because, of course, we are doing female anti-heroes. What do we have on this podcast? No women whatsoever. <laughs> We have a queen. We do Hi. have a queen. We have Adam. Hello, Adam. Hey, girl. How you doing? Doing good. Uh, we have his king, doing? like Jughead to Archie. We have Mr. Todd. <laughs> I'll be Jughead any day. I mean, he's got the yeah, Arch- hat. Archie's a fuckboy. I mean, in this yeah, scenario, you are Archie. Hi. Well, I guess I do fuckboys, so yeah, that works. Yeah, see? That works. And hey, I'm Brian. Uh, so, let's jump into this fucker. Um, so we're Are doing... you the Veronica? I can only hope. I don't know. Am I Veronica or am I a Betty? I'd rather be a Betty. You're so Sabrina. I would love to be Sabrina. <laughs> I would be no, done being Sabrina. No, no, you're Salem. That's who you are. You're Salem. Salem! No, my, no, literally my black cat that wanders through and you hear on this podcast on occasion, that is a fucking Salem right there. Um, as Ellen refers to her, she is my familiar um, and follows me around. Yeah, I just like reorganized and yeah. cleaned up my room and all sorts of shit and she just, she cannot comprehend or figure out how to maneuver her way around an apartment with someone. Like, I basically did a lot of downsizing and there's so much less shit in here. She just can't seem to figure it out. Where'd you put the ship, Brian. Some of it I tossed it. Some of it put in, put it in storage unit. Some of it's going to be coming your way, Todd. Enjoy. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Your Christmas present arrived. It's fucking badass, by the way. Is it as badass as a wine cozy? Almost. Almost. So did you hear about this thing, Adam? Mm, no. I Todd went shopping Adam. when he was drunk. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I even uh, warned Brian about this. <laughs> so they get a package in the mail in Arizona that says to Brian and Ellen, and then for the last name is, what do I need a last name? for. I yeah. even think I put in a question mark. <laughs> I think there is a question mark, yes. And the post office so delivered it, so said, apparently your point went through. Right. So it goes, Brian and Ellen, what do I need a last name for? And you open it up, and I had sent them a uh, wine cozy so it holds a wine bottle. Uh-huh. And I had Ellen's face and Brian's face on it. Yeah, and his daughter. And my daughter, because why not? And I sent you a mouse pad because yes. those are anachronisms these days. Yes. What was on the mouse pad? My kid? Sa- same, yeah. Same, same photo. stuff? Yeah. Right. But I I was drunk when I did it, and I'm like, I did something silly, and I sent you this stuff. It was pretty good. <laughs> I almost sent you a puzzle. Well, that could be Because you can have a tin with a puzzle, but it gives you the option that the picture on the tin doesn't have to be the puzzle. Oh, that's evil. So, I almost did it, and the tin picture had a very similar um, color layout scheme as the puzzle itself, but it was like a variation on the picture. That would have been... That's fucking <laughs> evil, but funny. <laughs> 
fucking evil but funny. So that's coming. Yeah. No. So my my best friend, he uh, one of his things I didn't realize he was into this until a couple months ago. Or if you go to Barnes and Noble, like actually buy the puzzles. They've got those little like um like puzzles you have to figure out where it's like a little it's like a little green box. It's like a metal thing where it's like two screws put together and you got to find a way to get them out. And mm-hmm. so sure. he's he's like way into those. And it was funny because the whole big thing with those you have to, you have to pull them apart and put them back together again. So we got him one randomly. It was, it was like ten bucks, you know, and he was all excited about it. And then we didn't. I talked to him a week later. I'm like, oh, did you solve the puzzle? He's like, no, I lost it. I'm like, what do you mean you lost it? And he, his daughter's three or four now, I think. One of his kids. Mm-hmm. And apparently she took it and put it somewhere because she wanted to play with it. Mm-hmm. And then like a month later, he's like, oh yeah, by the way, I, I was like, it's like I found the puzzle. I'm like, oh good, did you did you solve it? He's like, well no, this time I got drunk and lost it. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he ever actually solved it yet. <laughs> That's funny. There we go. Uh, so what episode is this, Brian? This is episode 200. That we've covered. What we haven't talked about is what book we're actually fucking doing. And we're I, doing a book. We are doing a book. I keep Okay, literally, I keep trying to grab the book, and my fucking cat keeps biting me. Because she's standing on the book. I keep trying to take the book away from her, and she fucking bites me. Good cat. <laughs> okay, got it. Okay. So, uh, we are doing Scarlet by Mr. Bubble Run himself, Brian Michael Bendis. And Maliv. What is Maliv's first name? I forgot. Alex. Alex Maliv. Thank you. Who is Bulgarian? I found out. I took a lesson from Todd. I actually did. I didn't. Well, we'll get into why I looked into it. You seem to always know these things, Todd. So that's why I, you know, I, I call pulling a Todd. Uh, All right. But uh, yeah, so basically this is a book about a girl who gets fucking pissed at the uh, at the establishment after her boyfriend is killed. And, Damn the man. Uh, I mean, for, for good reason, though. For so. good reason. Absolutely. Right. And then takes on the world. So, uh, but we have to have a cocktail with us. So, Adam, I know you have a special one for our 200th. Do you want to do that first or second? Uh, let's do that. Maybe do that at the end. Sounds great. So okay. let's start out with something our... To look, something to look forward to. Sounds so. great. Okay, so for uh, the Scarlet Cocktail, what do you got? Uh, so this one is called the Powder Keg. And what you do, you take a glass. You add in uh, 12 ounces of a, your favorite dark lager, whichever you prefer. You get a one-shot glass full of Kahlua. You drop it in the beer and you chug it. It's sort of like Ooh. an Irish Car Bomb. Kind of like Irish Car Bomb, but you don't have, like, uh, obviously the Baileys or the whiskey, bow. So it's, uh, it's, it's definitely more probably coffee-flavored. Because the Irish Car Bomb is kind of coffee-flavored, but this yeah. one's got that, you know, the... Does it bubble up, like, get, get a head on it, like uh, a curdle, I guess, or whatever it is, like a car bomb? No, because the curdle comes from the, uh, the, the Irish cream. Because it's yeah. cream-based. So, yeah, this one is just all alcohol and sugar-based. Yeah, my, uh, I'm sure I'm before, but, but the semi, actually, probably is official. My art school, the, the, the drink was the Irish car bomb. And I was working with a, a relatively famous actor, um, and we were hanging out at a bar afterwards, and he real and he was also an alumni there. And he walked in, mm-hmm. and he, like, walked in with two Irish car bombs, like, ready to go. And he's like, you went to NCSA? I said, yep, because you know what has to happen. I'm like, yep. So somehow he'd figured out that we went to school at school at the same spot. He was several years ahead of me. And so we both had to do Irish car bombs together. I've never had an Irish car bomb. They're fun. I'm not uh, a big beer guy. So in, it's not even really that interesting. But so in my hometown where I grew up in California, no matter what bar you went to, whether it actually was a bar, like a Holden Oil bar, TJ Fridays, wherever, they would not make Irish car bombs. Hmm. They wouldn't even like offer them by some other name. It was just like this unspoken rule that you could not have one in a bar. Was it like day, I don't know. Or something like that? I don't know. I mean, they could have called it something else. It could have been like a Irish mudslinger or something like that. And no, they just, they well, wouldn't like, do it. I mean, cause yeah, you, uh, there's all, there's weird liquor laws and all sorts of places. Like something like was like sidecars and all sorts of shit like that, which well, I mean, Utah, uh, yeah. I mean, Unless you thing. call something flavoring and then give you a lot of flavoring. Yeah, they can free pour it. Yeah, like, uh-huh. here's the thing, and I, I hate to do this, but in defending Utah's liquor laws, I have lived in many states with weirder fucking liquor laws. Sure. I talk to people like, oh, Utah, that's backwards. I'm like, meh. North Carolina. Not as much as others. There's no uh, almost identical. Um, there's no dry counties in Utah. Well, yep. there's one county that lacks a liquor store, so it's dry by default. 
Falls, but yeah. it's not that designated as a dry county. There just well, isn't a liquor store isn't, there. Isn't the county where they actually make Jack Daniels a dry county? Yes, it is. That is true. Yes, it is. You cannot buy Jack Daniels where Jack Daniels no, is produced. You are actually, if I remember correctly, you are buying a souvenir bottle from your Jack Daniels experience, and they would like you to engrave it, but you can just bypass that line. So I did yeah. that in, uh, in Puerto Rico when I went to the Bacardi factory. Mm-hmm. Ah, but yeah, Utah liquor laws, not the strangest or weirdest. And like nope. Alaska has a dry counties, wet counties, and moist counties. Yep. I mean, Connecticut's yeah. are weird. Liquor laws are just strange in general. Like they are. California is pretty pretty chill. What state was the whiskey rebellion in? I don't know. If only we had the world's knowledge in our fingertips, stand by. I know, like a supercomputer in our pocket. Where is that supercomputer in our pocket? I mean, the last time we actually had a commander chief lead troops into battle. Was the Whiskey uh, Rebellion? Let's see. Uh, that was back when Washington was president. It was uh-huh. in 1791 to 1794. Right. Uh, the government says we're uh, yeah we're going to tax your whiskey. People says no, you're not, and Washington says yes, we are, and brought an army to prove it. Uh, he will bring a fully armed battalion to remind you of his love. Washington did exactly that. He did. So what's interesting, actually, with that is that they did put a tax on all the distilled uh, alcohols, but because whiskey uh-huh. was being consumed so much more, people thought it was unfair because it was uh, it was basically what they're drinking, and beer was hard to transport because it's spoiled. So whiskey just kind of became mm-hmm. the the big thing, the fact, though, so, mm-hmm. right? So, but what state was the whiskey rebellion, or it was ha- it multi-state? I don't, I don't even know. know. I have a county here. I'm going to look up what county, what state that county is in. So apparently it's Western Pennsylvania. Ah, all right. Yeah, Western Pennsylvania yeah. from what I'm seeing. Yeah. Pennsylvania. All right. Well, that doesn't make sense there. But yeah, but liquor laws are so weird and wrapped up in so many things. You take a look at Irish whiskey and they're often um, multi-grain instead of just like scotch is pretty much just barley. And Irish is uh, multi-grain because they had a tax on pure barley drinks as they were going after whiskey. So, um, Irish went, fine, I'm going to throw some other grain in here, and now it's not that, and now I can avoid the tax. Mm-hmm. And that's how the tradition of that came into play with Irish whiskey being multigrain. So it'd be a, not just a malt like scotches. We're full of useless history today. I'm always full of useless stuff. Okay, well, are you full of a drinking game for this week? Yeah. The um, So with Scarlet, when you read it, what's interesting is you um, catch this person growing up a little bit. And they do these wonderful little vignettes that'll be like, first time kissing, first time breaking up, first time cheating, first time this. So every time you come across a page of those, you have to take a drink for every first. So it's you drink on the first. Okay, shit. That was going to be mine. I have another one, but it's my other one's way more evil than that one. But that was... Be way evil. more evil. Mine's pretty so, evil too, so... Yeah. Well, Adam, go I don't want to steal yours, so why don't you go ahead and go... So, so with mine, I actually, it was kind of funny because I changed it up halfway through. So mine originally was... Uh, well, no, my mind currently is breaking the fourth wall. It's every time a character is talking mm-hmm. to you in the book, mm-hmm. take a drink. Originally, I was going to do it where it was like every time the character is not talking to you. But then like, I think about the second or third issue and it kind of goes to where it's more dialogue between characters. Mm-hmm. But then other characters yeah. start doing the same thing where they'll like be talking to someone and then like turn to the camera, we'll say, and start talking to the reader. So that's why I changed it halfway through to whenever that happens, you take a drink. Okay. And we'll say once a page because that happens a lot. So yeah, I was, um, I thought about doing that one as well. I'm going with whoop. Whoop, whoop, that's the sound of the police. I was going to try to do it better, but like that's... Uh, every time a cop shows up, uh, take a drink. Ooh. I told you it was fucking evil. Ooh. 
<laughs> so, what are you drinking tonight, Brian? Water, right now. What are you drinking? Adam? Oh. So, I started out with, I, I was, uh, I stopped by a grocery store and I found this new, uh, actually it's not new, it was a, a very good ginger beer. They make a diet version of it. It's expensive as shit. Well, mm -hmm. it's six bucks for four bottles. Uh, and so I made a, a Moscow Mule because we're kind of on that kick and it was quite delicious. But now we're into my normal, you know, Bresca vodka thing, so. I always love that. Well, I'm doing a hot buttered rum tonight. So, this requires a little bit of prep work, but it lasts for a while. Is you, um, take a stick of butter and about uh, 10, 12 tablespoons of brown sugar, a half cup, of, a cup of ice cream and sprinkle in some cinnamon. You mix that all together, throw that in the freezer. And when you actually want to use it, you put a scoop of that into your drink. You um, fill your mug up about a third of the way with rum, and then you top it off with hot apple juice. And you've got this um, super high caloric, um, rum, buttery rum, cinnamon, ice cream goodness. Actually, so, I might need to get that recipe from you because my buddy, uh, John, he's a huge foodie. Like he always posts pictures of what he's made for dinner. And he actually is like a, almost like a gourmet chef. Uh, and he just got diagnosed with COVID. So. Oh. He's the one who he's the one who literally never left his house. He went to work and that was it. And then it was some asshole at his work who uh, tested positive and hadn't worn his mask properly. And now he's he's sick. So he's he's doing pretty good so far. But he's just not. He just got the cough today. So that might help okay. him get through some of his uh, trials. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm drinking hot. That sounds lovely from. though. I, I think that sounds delicious. It's even my wife. Amy wants to drink it. So most of the time she just turns up her nose and goes, ooh, that's gross. But for this one, she's like, can I have some more, please? Can what? I have some more? More? I just picture Amy yeah. her hands out like this. Please, sir. I'll have some more. So, and I got a rum that's about 35 proof. So when you uh, make it a third, it's like mm, 10, 12%. So it's like a buff wine level. Oh. So you drink a full mug of that and you feel pretty good. Cool. Uh, yeah. Mr. Todd, since you read both volumes of this book, I was wondering if you wanted to kind yeah. of give us a, a quick run down of what happens you know in this book and then what continues on so that adam and i will be i've read it but i don't remember it so if we can be a little more enlightened that yeah. would be helpful. and that's actually one of my no, big complaints about this book is how it ends yeah so. all right so scarlet today is about what is it 10 issues in total yeah i've only ever read it in um collected format so i'm not positive so that doesn't matter to premise this though i feel that this was written at the um the height of brian bendis's powers yeah as a writer um he um still writing today He's still putting out a lot of work, but this one's great. And I'm sure his current stuff's fine. I haven't read a lot of it, but this one's great. There's some complaints about Bendis's bubble runs, and it happens a little bit in this book, but not terribly so. Yeah. There's a lot of Bendis tropes going on. Yeah. But this was um, brought out originally on the Jinx World imprint, which is his own line of books. So it's not tied to any other universe. It's just unto itself. Um, so it's the story of Scarlet Rue, who uh, grew up in humble circumstances. And and her boyfriend gets killed unfairly by the police. And then she takes it upon herself to right the wrongs and starts going after bad cops. And eventually the city goes, we... No. <laughs> you've got... No, we can't let this go on. And the people going after her is... Yes, we have to stop it, but one of my favorite passages in the whole thing is like, so when we finally catch up to the Scarlet Row, are we going to like kill her on the spot or hug her? And the other cop goes, I'll figure it out when I get there, because I'm not quite sure. Because what's interesting is the um, there is absolutely corruption going on, and sometimes they watching Scarlet, even from inside the police, going, it's cleaning up some things that we haven't been able to do. Um, that really is the overarching theme of the 10 issues. Um, we're primarily focused on the first half of this book. 
mm-hmm. yes. is what's going on here. So I just read through the whole thing. So I'm trying to remember where the first half of it ends. So <laughs> it ends when she wakes the up truth. after the, uh, the, the, like the protest thing where they throw the flashbang. All right. So the, yeah. Then, yeah. All right. So it goes to the flashbang. So Adam, let's fill in on that a little bit. So yeah. So what happens is, is that we've got the, the detective going, which threw me for a loop mm-hmm. the first time. Cause I didn't realize. Her it's last going. Yeah, it's yeah. going. How's it going? Yeah. So I, I, that threw me for a loop. And then, um, you know, so we've got federal agent Nathan Dimonakos. I know it's like a Greek name. I don't know what, how to pronounce his last name. I'm bad with that. But anyway, so mm-hmm. he gets put on the case and she gets taken off because she's like, she, I think she's the one who says like, what are you going to hug her? Are you going to like, or like kill her? Or like, do you want her brought to justice? Because she realizes that the whole police force for the most part, I mean, for the most part, actually like uh, Scarlett does have a good speech. I'll, I'll talk about later uh, mm-hmm. is corrupt for the most part. And so she understands that if we find this person, she won't face justice. She'll just be gunned down in a blaze of glory because that's what the, the police want to do. Uh, so at the very end, there's this huge gathering and the FBI agents just basically saying like, nope, let them gather. They're being peaceful. If you go out there with your cops, two things are going to happen. One, you're going to start a riot by riling them up. Mm-hmm. Or two, if you find her and you kill her, you're going to make a martyr and make things 10 times worse. So eventually a cop throws a flashbang. She gets hurt. Everyone's, all this stuff goes crazy. And so the end of it all is her waking up, realizing, hey, I need to keep doing this. And then uh, agent going, well, now because like uh, going gets... Uh, oh, towards the for? tough kid going. <laughs> Uh, basically, she just deputizes into the FBI with the FBI agent, and they kind of head off, and that's where the thing comes. It's like, well, what are we going to do if we find her? And the agent's kind of like, well, I, I kind of already saw this coming. I know what's going to happen next, because you can kind of tell he's smarter than your average cop or bear. Oh, and wow. that's actually my one complaint with the book. Not that I didn't love the book. I really enjoyed it a lot. I think it's very, very timely, considering it was written, like, what, 11 years ago? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with what's Unfortunately, going on it feels more relevant than ever. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, when I read this, I had to go, I had to stop and go back. Like, did, they, did they just do this? like last year I, I, I can't tell um, no. but that that would be my one complaint is that I and it's I don't know so much the problem with the book is that so much as like this is where the graphic novel stops I think it would have been better to have read it the way Todd did where like hey this is the whole story this is the whole X number of pages and I actually thought there were going to be one more episode issue because I got to like page 110 and in my my novel it's like oh it's 164 pages I'm like oh cool mm-hmm. like one last one no that was all like the covers and commentaries and everything else so if you if you have digital and you see that don't be don't be confused that's how it goes um, but yeah, so that that's like my one big quibble with the book is how it ended. Mm-hmm. And again, if it would have been one reading them individually, you understand going forward, like, hey, this is you know, there's another issue coming out. Or two, if we would have read the whole thing, then you would have had that problem. So I think it was just kind of how they decided to break these up into two separate books. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they could have done it any differently, but maybe it would have been best to do this as like one whole experience instead of splitting the two. So. Mm-hmm. The absolute edition has the whole thing in a single volume. When uh, Bendis came over to DC, they uh, relaunched Jinx World under a DC as an imprint that's, you know, wholly owned and still controlled by Bendis, and they made an absolute edition of Scarlet, and that only came out in, like, the last year or so. So it was, like, a 10th anniversary kind of a deal. And it's... uh, I um, Alex Malib's art is stunning. Yeah, as that we're was, going through this. That was a big thing I wanted to discuss. Um, is I ended up going in a rabbit hole because, like, the way that it is drawn, I wanted to know if he was tracing over photographs because that's sort of what it looked like. And sure. So I went on this YouTube rabbit hole of watching him talk at cons and mm-hmm. and watching process videos or whatever. He's just really fucking good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, that's How like, is he? 
<laughs> really good. Yeah. So like, I wanted to. I, that was the thing is I wanted to see like, is he tracing? How's he doing? Because it has that kind of quality of it. And part of mm-hmm. what I think it is is that I think he, as his own colorist, that's where it is. Because like, you can he he shows sketches and there's some sketches in the back of what he's done, and it's a it's the details he's able to put in in the coloring, which I think really sells that like sort of because it looks like that Photoshop comic book effect kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, sure. it looks yeah. like that stylized effect you would get for it. But that's just really how well he does his art that way. Um. So yeah, that was that was part of how I like figured out like, oh, he's Bulgarian and like he didn't really grow up reading comics because to his uh, statement, there was no comic book industry in Bulgaria. Like, it just doesn't fucking exist. Um, it's not there. Yeah. So just so just interesting of like you know kind of how he how he views it more from um like a fine art kind of angle. But the thing I will say this is aside from you're not constrained either. You're not. But I think the brilliant thing about him in general is is and we've seen it and I think this is something worth noting is we've talked about Bendis's bubble run and I don't think Bendis yes. is less wordy in here. You know what I mean? I don't think he's less restrained. I think that um, Malib is just really good at navigating through that and be able to artistically represent it and still get those words in. You well, know who's I mean? the letterer? Right. Um, I don't know about the letter either, but I just think that like with the way that it's laid out. Right. But doesn't the letterer letterer do the um, Chris Iliopoulos? Yeah. Um, so I really think the because uh, you know don't get me wrong, the artist absolutely um, draws with where the bubbles would be in mind. But yeah, I think uh, the the synergy. I kind of hate that word, but there I go. With the letter with the artist is um, amazing. Yeah, but I think that, that just the ability, because like I'm looking at it, and there's some stuff that looks like Bendis Bubble Runs, just from flipping mm-hmm. through, but it doesn't read like that. And I think that has a lot to do with just his ability to navigate around how... Yes. Yeah. I think that's, that's also just worth notating how impressive that work is in general. It is. It is. Well, no, actually, I I remember last episode when we closed out, we brought up the fact that this is a Bendis book and it doesn't feel as wordy as his other ones. And so when I, or it wasn't as wordy. So when I started reading this, um, I was looking at it and I was like, you know, well, this, this is still really wordy, like, like Bendis normally is. But again, it didn't feel that way. Yeah. You got, you know, I'm, I'm looking at a page right now. In fact, I'm looking at page like 94 i was just flipping and there's a ton of words sure. on it but at the same time because that artwork works so well and it's funny you mentioned that you thought it was like did he sketch over a photograph because it really felt like the same art style as the movie waking life yeah where they filmed it and then they actually did animate part of it afterwards mm-hmm. uh to where like you and i think that again going back to both the letterer and also the artists that they made it work so well that you can take someone who is that wordy as bendis for, for good and for bad i mean mm-hmm. we, we've seen both sides of that and be able to tell this full dark deep story with both sides of the Pen. You got your artist's pen. You got your writer's pen, and yeah. I think that's a, a testament more to, knowing Bendis to the the artist and the letterer than anyone else. So, All right. I mean, we look at this book. It's it's gritty and it's got a great rough and tumble aesthetic through the whole thing going on. And mm-hmm. there's times you've got her growing up, and you can see things going through here, but you never it captures the it captures or does it establish the tone of everything so well. I mean, Bendis's history was crime, right? He was a crime writer before he broke into Marvel mm-hmm. and DC, right? So what he was known for is his crime fiction. He did Torso, Goldfish, The Finch, Goldfinch. Uh, it's Jinx and Goldfish. Okay, Torso. Those are the big ones. So he really was cutting his teeth writing his own stuff. And so this was like where his like first love was. And this, what's interesting with this, him and uh, Greg Rucka in similar times, it's they're really a crime based. Yeah. Is like where they first step off and then you have going on there. And the world and the mood and the tone just 
feels so easy is not quite the right word because this is not an easy place to be, mm-hmm. but it just feels so legit. And it's got the lighthearted moments and it's got the heaviest of moments balanced so very well. You've got these little blurbs of first love, first kiss, first cheating, first things right here. Yeah. And then boyfriend dies and, you know, everything else, people get shot. None of it feels out of place. Mm-hmm. It is balanced and the artwork just sells it so well. Yeah. I mean, I could read this kind of artwork for hours. It's, um, I would place this, it's not exactly the same, but it's similar to the art from DMZ with Brian Wood. Oh yeah, yeah, it is. It's got a very similar aesthetic, but it's, um, I dare say I like this artwork better. I mean, Malieve is amazing and it's, um, he's done a number of things with Bendis over the years and it's just awesome. And the main character flaws and all is has a vendetta and vengeance going on and you get it and you have the people trying to stop them. And I'm like, I get why they're trying to stop her. They're not wrong. Mm -hmm. I get that too. And so you have this vengeful person and you can see both sides and you're rooting for her. And is she right? She may not be. She isn't right, but she may not be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that by definition of an anti-hero right here? True. Right. I mean, the absolute definition of this anti-hero, it's like go Scarlet Rue. And even that name, it's a great name, but at the same time, it doesn't feel as um, contrived. Yeah. You know, I actually could picture myself meeting and knowing a Scarlet Rue without going, what was that again? Mm Mm-hmm. And I can actually picture myself going and meeting every character in this book. Yeah. I mean, it um, transports you so well. And it's not a happy book. No. It doesn't leave you feeling good. It doesn't go right here. And But it's not quite the downer like um, Monster with Charlize Theron. Yeah. Have you guys seen yeah. that movie? I watched it once. And I'm putting Monster in the same camp as with Schindler's List. Yeah. It's one of those things like, are you coming? like, I am. I, I do not regret watching it all. It's like, oh, do you want to watch it again? No, I, I kind of do not want to watch this again. Uh, about Joker as well, to be honest with you. I saw it. It was brilliant. Joaquin Phoenix was brilliant. I don't know if I ever need to see it again. I've watched it twice, and I I, I watched it specifically to pick up on... Well, first of all, it was like 7 bucks on Black Friday, so like, why the fuck wow. not? And uh, Best Buy had priced it wrong, and so I made them price match and lose money. That made me happy. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> no, the movie that I feel the same way about with that is uh, the movie Crash. It was the okay. movie that everyone was all pissed off because that one Best Picture over Brokeback Mountain, which I have my own right. I, I can go off on about fuck that movie uh no but crash made a point it was just it was that one um it just like i, I saw it once you made this point never want to see it again and also the movie lord of war with nicholas cage mm-hmm. i love lord of war i think it's a great movie i never want to see it ever again like it just see, i've probably watched that one five times now on for me you're five times worse than me no i was kidding uh there we go just, but no lord of war is great but yeah i hear you yeah there's there's something about it that you're just like okay i get the point and they they, they did a very very good job of making their point mm-hmm. and getting uh-huh. across what the message but it's a message i don't need to relive this one i want to read scarlet again the fact I that do, i read okay, scarlet I do, yes. and i'm like i want to read scarlet more and it's still all those same things are there but this one i'm like what now what's happening now mm-hmm. i want to read scarlet more how do i spend more time here mm-hmm. it's probably the best way to put it it's like how do i spend more time here and he hasn't come back to it yet right yeah so i don't think he's figured that out but it's um it's fantastic but like with monster you're like oh this was terrible and you did this 
things and this uh, main character does terrible things and you're left and you just, yeah, it's this kick to the gut. It's like, I don't want another kick to the gut. Mm-hmm. And you watch this one and it's, so it's interesting. It has the accessibility that I am peeking in, but at the same high cat, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I don't feel um, too personally abused over it. Yeah. So with like monster and Schindler's list, I feel trauma as I watch it. Mm-hmm. So this does a beautiful job, but I'm not feeling trauma over it. Is and it I'm not sure if that's a good or bad thing. I'd be very interested to see, because, like, again, I haven't read the second part, so I don't know. And, Todd, you might know this. Uh, obviously, you will mm-hmm. better than I do. Does the second book leave off on, like, hey, more could happen? Or is it very much kind of wrapped up and we're done? It leaves the possibility. Okay. The reason why I'm asking that is because, you know, this was written almost 10 years ago. And right. we, we talked about at the beginning how timely this kind of feels. And uh, uh-huh. yeah, if you read my, my my little, like, story for the rest of the uh, drink I made... Uh, you know, it'd be really interesting to see where we come back to with this in this day and age with BLM, mm-hmm. you know, uh, all cops are bastards, that kind of thing. Because there's a, like you said, this story feels like it was just taken out of the paper today. Now, the only thing is, like, there's what, like, no black people in this. So it's kind of like, <laughs> there's kind of a, that disconnect with it there. And you kind of wonder, like, well, if this, and I was kind of wondering the whole time I was reading this, like, okay, so let's say Scarlet was this person of color with, you know, with, and they were going out killing people. Would we still have the same riots? Would we still have the same thing happen? Mm-hmm. supported by you know hundreds if not thousands of white people mm-hmm. and i think that's kind of a question i i would love to have asked you know let me last month during black history month even though this book has nothing to do with that i think it's still nothing an argument that could be brought up as far as how society sees corrupt cops and uh reacts to it because a white guy was killed and mm-hmm. then society sees corrupt cops and then just says oh well blue lives matter because it was done to a black person or a latino person or this mm-hmm. and that so uh I, I think it would be interesting to see where this goes now because <clears throat> whatever you think of Bendis you know he's too wordy with this and that he's still a very good writer and he tells very good stories so maybe if it was like Son of Scarlet I don't know <laughs> it's mm-hmm. kind of thing to see where they could take the story now knowing kind of more what we do now because the, the racism was always there you know racism didn't die because we had a black president mm-hmm. who just pushed no. on the ground and then the one good thing we can say about Trump was that it brought all that to a head so now like oh okay now we see where all these fuckers are now um, I know where the fuckheads live near me right? exactly just look for the Trump flags yeah um, uh, or the, the still there, story. by the way. Yeah, I know. I've seen them around town. Um, there's a lot of great commentary here, and I really would like to see how that could be taken into society nowadays to see how things would change if the race, blah blah blah, of the character was switched. Because mm-hmm. I can see a lot of people reading this being like, "Yeah, yeah, cops are bastards. Look how corrupt they are." And then, oh well, it's not this hot white chick, so I'm not interested anymore. Yeah, sure. No, that is. I hear you. That that also sort of. I'm not complaining about it, but there is a certain aspect that kind of annoys me a little bit of the um, sort of Joss Whedon esque feminism to a certain extent. Of yes. a woman can't be strong unless something shitty happens. I mean, at least this time it's a dude dying. You know what I mean? But like, there's a little bit of that as well, where like people can't just see things that are fucked up and, and rise up and make changes. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. as we've seen, like you know, even when there are terrible injustices being ha- being occurred or terrible injustices are occurring, not everyone steps up or it, or, or, or change isn't made automatically, I should say. It's probably a better way of saying that. Sure. Um, well, I think there's, that's kind of a hard thing to say because, you know, in this book, yes, you know, it's a, a woman doesn't stand up and does, does something until something fucked up happens to her. Like she gets yeah. shot and her boyfriend dies. Yeah. And then we flip over and be like, okay, well, then we have a guy going out getting revenge because they killed his girlfriend. Yeah, I get that. I think the only thing that did it perfectly, and I think you'll both agree with this, is John Wick because he was after them because they killed his dog and stole his car. 
But it's the same problem. So, if something had to happen to him, I guess. Yeah, it's well, something has to happen. It's just like the reasoning behind it. I think I know, and it, and and like I think in popular culture, it's hard to it's hard to have um, obvious motivation without something dramatic happening. You know what I mean? Like you can't. I don't know. It, it, it is interesting. Well, you take a look at Occupy Wall Street. Yeah, and what they wanted was a nebulous answer. Yeah, they tried to be a nebulous organization wanting a nebulous answer. It was like, well, what do you want? Things to be better. Well, what exactly do you want? Yeah. Things better. Things. Well, what? Things better. You, I mean, I, yeah, I, yeah. I hate to. It's the... Yeah. Having just, you know, done all the business shit that I've had to do, you need something, you need a smart goal. You need something specific and measurable and attainable and timely. And uh, realistic. And realistic, and, yes. And the challenge was Occupy Wall Street. I mean, where it was doomed to the start is, where were these things? Mm-hmm. Where was the focus? Like, oh, the two rich people are too rich and we're not getting a fair shake. Not wrong. Yeah. No, right? not at all. Not wrong. But what's your solution? The two rich can't be too rich. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that mean? Well, too rich. And you're like, what's well, too rich, and why? And they 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 had a problem without a solution. Mm-hmm. They just were unhappy with it. But you know, it's kind of like trying to talk to a uh, girlfriend that was doesn't know what they want. They just know what they don't. Yeah, or boyfriend. Yeah, that, that's like it's like or trying to figure out what right? you're going to eat all the fucking time. Right. It's like do this. Like I'm not going to tell you what I want because you should just know it. And I'm just going to say no, or I'm going to say. It's fine. Mm-hmm. No, it's not fucking fine. Oh, I did it last night with Clark, and he got upset but with me, so I explained me it's why fine. it wasn't fine. <laughs> yeah, and I go, and you're like, if you're not going to tell me, then I'm going to stop looking. Like, what? And I'm like, you tell me it's fine. I'm going to take that at face value unless you say otherwise. Yeah. And that's also its own funny conversation. It's true. Okay. But it's, um, and really, you take a look at this, is Bendis does a great job with the story. Mm-hmm. Alex Malie's art just makes it amazing. Mm-hmm. And this book is amazing, kind of a deal. And it's, um, yeah, it's over a decade old. It feels like yesterday. And what's interesting watching this with a lot of Brian Bendis is he's adopted a bunch of his kids for mm-hmm. backstory. Yeah, and a bunch of his kids. I mean, he's he's adopted them from all over, and they make this great. I mean, you've got this bald Jewish dude who's dad to all sorts of kids. So you look at. I mean, this is the creator of Miles Morales, Spider Man, and Naomi for DC, among other things, because he was trying to write books that his kids could identify with. But you know, skin tones. He's got some. Mm-hmm. He's got an awesome, diverse family, and so this is definitely a writer that is not afraid to have a person of color to be a central character, and here they weren't mm-hmm. and this was still 10 years ago but was this point being made so it's not i don't want to say it's not about that but it's trying to be about something else kind of a deal or mm-hmm. was that before that time but he i mean he wasn't afraid to do so and yeah. it's uh, miles morales was how long ago when was that first introduced i uh, imagine this was 20... somewhat similar time frames 15 or 16 Let me, I'll, I'll look at it real fast. Hang on. was it just miles morales came out five years ago i think he's been out longer than that i think he has too oh no that was tw- uh 2011 actually yeah it was the same year all right so this was written the same year as miles oh my morales. god I, that's you're yeah, old that's, no i'm saying because i've got into that again because i got into comics again because of Scott Pilgrim, mm-hmm. the movie. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was. I remember very. Yeah, so I went to the comic shop and I was looking to get uh, Scott Pilgrim books, and they were out because I, you know the movie was coming out, so everyone was going to get it. And I got into Age of X, and that's when I saw the death of Spider Man. This is I didn't even know about the Ultimate Universe. I was like, oh, you know, it's death of Spider Man. I thought it was like sure, you know, six two six. And then they uh, after that, like they launched Miles Morales, and I was like, got into it. And that's yeah, that was that ten years ago. Holy shit, ten plus. Right. So. 
this has been coming out. So this was a very much contemporary of Miles Morales Spider-Man, both by Bendis. And so he's doing that. So it's for him, all these choices were very conscious choices and he wasn't afraid to do so. And it's interesting where it moves the, I say moves the focus. It's where it sets the focus mm-hmm. of the story with that in mind, because he is cognizant of those different things going on. So I, um, I think it just works so very well. I'd really be interested when we, um, to hear Lena's take on this. Well, I feel like a bonus episode of all of her takes yeah. just on these, uh, these comics, because Again, I we, we mentioned every single time, but I still feel really bad that like our one our one woman on this podcast is not here for the month that she should have the most input on. Right, this is a great book, but it's 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 um I want to give this to my ten year old eventually. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, see, knowing knowing you and Amy though, you will raise your daughter to be the fact that when she's ten, I mean, she'll still be immature because ten year olds are immature, but she'd she's be 10, mature, right? She'd still be mature enough with a lot of different things to where she could like see the word fuck and not be like. <sighs> Oh my god! Either one, this is horrible, or two, I need to say it every five seconds. Which I don't know if your daughter does or not, but um, yeah, I think she it's is like getting whole... um, she she does mimic quite a bit, <laughs> so we're having to be careful because mimicry is a thing. So. Oh, hey, actually, well, I, I've got something else to say, but, but I want Brian to jump in. You've been kind of like reacting. You haven't really like weighed um, in too much on thoughts and this and that. I think uh, for me, now most of what I noticed this time around reading it, I, I felt like, yes, it feels very um, present and very now, but it was the art that really sort of distracted me about, like, in, in a good way of like, that's just really what I focused on was just the, the, the skillful way in which um, the art is done and the way it navigates through Bendis. And I mean, I, I've already discussed about it earlier, but I guess the only thing I wanted to add to what I was talking about earlier is I feel like, and this puts, I don't want to imply that I'm putting Bendis on the same pedestal, but it's similar to when you see a good production of Shakespeare, where it is a lot of dialogue and it's very wordy and it's a very specific thing. But there are many um, just very great artists who are, have the ability to uh, make it feel fresh and make it feel modern and and uh, and make it flow well and not feel like you know it's way fucking old and I guess it is thousand years old, but like super fucking old and not necessarily and they, they can make it feel contemporary, make it feel powerful and ever present. And I feel like that's sort of what happens here. I think you have Bendis writing something that is sort of um, a bit universal and a bit, bit specific for our time. Um, like, But it's this universal thing about corruption and wanting to overdo it. And then you have uh, Maliv, who is doing this amazing job of working around um, the uh, the tricky demands that can come with a writer like Bendis. Um, and uh, I think that that's really what kind of sets this thing apart. Is it my favorite book I've ever read? No. But do I think it's a really good book? Yes. You know? Um, like, I think it's super specific. But yeah, it, it, sort of similar to what you were saying about other movies. It's not a movie. Like, it's maybe it's just because of the world we're currently in, it doesn't feel as much fun right now. I think when I read it first, it was like maybe six years ago. Mm-hmm. And so it didn't feel as heavy at the time, you know? Now it felt really heavy. And so like, it wasn't as fun to read it this time around as it, I remember it being the first time I read it. And and I'm older, the world's different, you know, that all, there are other things in play there. Uh, but yeah. We are older. Yeah. yeah. But that's just sort of my, my general thought of it. And it's very, very good. Uh, maybe a little too real for me at the moment but uh, you know hopefully in three or four years things will be in a place where i'll think this is a fun book again but who knows but yeah that's sort of my, my i will say he uh on the last issue without saying what it is going on is um the uh the very last thing says is there's only one word bubble on the last two pages of the last issue and he pulls a money python on it okay so oh i i approve of this so mm-hmm. it's um uh, so it's a word bubble so where it comes with the money python it's ah 
of coming in. And that's in like the, I mean, looking at it right now, it's in the first frame of the second to last page. So, like and it's right there. Right and then it, and it's, um, it's awesome. So as you go through here, as we talk about how Bendis can be wordy, but the last little bit is a whole bunch of shots of not words. Mm-hmm. And Malave just does that so well. And a little bit of what it feels like is the, um, with the movie seven, that whole movie was so dark, so dark, so dark. And yet the uh, most brutal aspect of it was in this broad daylight. And that juxtaposition is weird. What's in the and box? A, no, what's in the box, right? This does that a little bit. And that's the thing too, like in, you know, seven has become part of pop culture because of that. Like people who don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. Who have seen the movie Seven know that because of how much it's hit, you know, well, meme lords and everything else. You, know, you can talk about that, but yeah, what's in the box? What's in the box? People like, what's that referencing? It's like, oh, this guy's wife. It's like the, the newest thing is like the the, the Leo DiCaprio one <clears throat> of him with like you know yeah. the, the making the face from Django Unchained, where people yeah, like, right. I've never seen that movie. I don't even know what the fuck that's from, but I know that meme. Yeah, we, we talked at the beginning about this being very timely and about how it's kind of falling in with the the whole all cops are bastards and everything going out with defund the police and. You know, my thoughts on that are very torn because I do think there's a lot of corruption and problems with the police. And I think that there's also a lot of problems with the law. Like, people get upset mm-hmm. because a cop will shoot and kill someone and then won't get charged. And like, oh, it's corrupt, it's corrupt. I'm like, well, you have to look at the actual um, the laws regarding it. So people like up in Utah, like, you know, they were pissed at Sim Gill, who's the DA, who said, well, we can't prosecute this cop for shooting someone because of this, this, this. Oh, right. Sim Gill's corrupt, Sim Gill's corrupt. Like, no, Sim Gill's a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And he's that's right. He's basing things off the laws that are in place. And he he could 100% think this is wrong, this cop should be prosecuted, or think, you know, hey, this they should not be prosecuted, but they don't have a, he doesn't have a choice. He has to what follow is the ethical law. may or may not be legal, and what is legal may or may not be ethical. Exactly. That's the challenge. And so you have people who are like 100%, you know, defund the police or like all cops are bastards. But the one thing that really kind of stuck me in this uh, is when the, the protest is happening and she's down there, she grabs the megaphone and starts speaking and she says, and I will not let the word compromise be part of this equation. If you are in a position of authority, you are not in a position of compromise. And if you're a witness to corruption or abuse and you turn your eyes away, you forfeit your position. I stand here and I say no more. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was like the one panel in the whole book that really stuck out to me as far as you know, they always say, like, you know, if, if a good man stands by and sees evil and does nothing, they're worse than the person doing the evil. And I, I kind of think, in a lot of ways, this is kind of how we have to view a lot of things going on right now. Like, you know, people are like, oh, well, there's no good cops. I'm like, no, I, I know a, a good number of them. Mm-hmm. I know people yeah. who do stand up and say this is wrong. And and the book even has the cop who knew what happened to her boyfriend and left the police force. He's like, nope, I'm done. I'm out. Mm-hmm. And so, with everyone, and, and that's the thing that everyone's like, oh, all cops are bastards. I'm like, no, they're not. Like, well, if they don't stand up. Like, well, they do stand up. <clears throat> Maybe not in the way that, like, you know, blows open a d- conspiracy or, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, or takes down the police force. But they they do stand up, and you can't paint everyone with one brush. It's the same way as people are like, oh, well, all homosexuals are child molesters. I'm like, okay, well, I'm sure some homosexuals are the same way that some heterosexuals are. But you're going to demonize one group of people because they now have the spotlight on them and. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you just you can't do that. And people can sit here and be like, disagree all you want. And like, do I think about defund the police? Do I think that that's something that should happen? In a way, not in the way you think. I think that the police are being given too much responsibilities to handle what's been given to them. So like, hey, someone's you know, up here on a roof about to jump. Oh, we'll call the police. Like, no, we should call people who can like actually talk to the person and help them. You know, if, if there's a situation where we should call people who are specialized towards that. But I'm sorry, at the end of the day, if someone's breaking into my house, I'm going to call the police. 
series. And you mm-hmm. can yep. disagree with me all you want. It's the same way as if my house is on fire, I'm going to call a fireman. Uh, and I have great relationships with a lot of police officers, again, being friends with them. And does there need to be a reform? Absolutely, 100%. But it comes down to the fact that of compromise. There can be no compromise between right and wrong when it comes to the point of you control people's lives. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's too much gray room right now and too much wiggle room. And like I said at the very beginning of this, is the fact that uh, it's because of the laws in place. So if you want to change that wiggle room, change that gray area, you have to change the law so the people in charge of the law can enforce it the way that it should be enforced. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, that's that's my soapbox. So there you go. Uh, anyways, yeah. So do we want to do uh, grades and then do the the final? Yeah, let's do grades. Grade. Yeah, yeah, let's do grades. Uh, Mr. Todd, what's your grade? This is an A. Okay, Mr. Adam. Yep. Uh, for me, I'm going with an A minus only because I didn't get to experience the whole thing in one shot. I mm-hmm. think it'd be an A if it was uh, both one and two uh, trades because I think there's a great story right. here. It's still timely, ten years later. Uh, and I, I, I honestly, I'm going to go out and like read the second one, and I'm actually probably going to buy the fancy one that Todd has. So. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, and I'm going to go with an A. Like I said, I think it's really well done. I think. It's good, but um, a little too timely for me right now. But uh, see how that goes. And sure. Future. Okay. Uh, stalling, 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 so that Adam can take a drink. Drink and swallow. Chug, chug, swallow. Swallow, chug. Adam. Uh, so Adam, what is your 200th drink for us? So I, I was trying to do something kind of fun, and I was like, "What's something that's just absolutely ridiculous?" That honestly, are you none of us we're here. absolutely ridiculous, sir? No, I'm thinking like you know, none of us here will ever make this drink unless we mm-hmm. win oh. lottery. Oh, I can guarantee okay. you, you don't have the stuff for this drink. Sounds so, great. I was just out there, like and it's not only it's not so much the cost; it's just how you're going to procure a, one of the uh, the elements of this drink. Mm-hmm. All right. So this drink is called the double. Indication mm-hmm. because 200 episodes, 100 takes yeah. this indication. Yeah, you take a brandy snifter and you warm it up. Okay, you take a bottle of Louis the Thirteenth cognac and you warm that up. Mm-hmm. That's too rich for my blood. Yeah, three thousand dollars plus a, a fifth. Uh, yeah. The bottle itself you could sell for like a thousand dollars because it's like cut crystal. Mm-hmm. Then you take two ounces of that that lovely lovely cognac and you warm it up and you put it into the snifter. Mm-hmm. You take one drop of hot water, add that to the snifter. Mm-hmm. There's the tough one. You take one drop of of holy water like actual holy Can water whole actual holy water <laughs> add that to the snifter you swirl vigorously you inhale the unholy aroma and you sip and enjoy wow okay so i am a uh... <laughs> i told you it was ridiculous <laughs> But, but a few years back, as much to Brian's delight, I uh, went online and I am a uh, reverend in the you are, yes. humanist church. Yes. So, with the humanist church, can a humanist reverend create holy water? Huh. I think I mean, you have to make like neutral water. <laughs> is that what it is? Sure. I mean, I, I guess you can make pro human water. I mean, I think more like, you know, water? like full on, like, you know, Catholic Episcopalian priest or priestess, like, you know, I know a number of Catholics. I wonder if I so. could be some of that. I mean, they could just come to your house and like actually bless a cup of water and it works. Sure. I wonder if they bless a well or swimming pool. Does that ever spring? That wasn't a, wasn't yeah, that but dogma? I don't want to put no. chlorine. No, in dogma they Am did I it with a kitchen sink. Yeah. Uh, uh, they did with a kitchen sink. Yeah. In Vamp Veronica, they do it with a swimming pool. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've run into it a few times. Um, sure. I mean, why not, right? Yeah. So the fun story behind that was I was cool. trying to think of something ridiculous, right? And so I looked up the Louis the That is ridiculous. Louis the 13th cognac. I was like, hey, something fun with that. I've never seen a recipe for a drink like a long, long time before we even did this podcast, before I even met you guys. And it was like, oh my God, it's ridiculous. So I looked it up and I found the one with holy water. I'm like, what could be more ridiculous Winner! than holy water so 
Nice. Yeah. Nice. I like it. Uh, cool. Well, I think that's gonna do it for this week. I can't believe we made mm -hmm. it 200 episodes. That's kind of kind of wild. Uh, so how much time? So if you do 200 times, how long does it take to edit? How much time have you spent editing? I don't even want to know. Should we do the math real fast? Right. What do you do? One, two hours? How long does it take to edit an hour? About two hours? Uh, about eight hours. Eight even, hours to even edit nowadays? I mean, I've gotten it a little bit faster, but like, uh -huh. it, depending on the episode, it ebbs and flows. I would say, I would say it probably still on an average can take eight hours. Like, on average. Just, well, so what you're saying is I just heard a thousand hours of editing. Oh yeah. Easily that. Yes. I've absolutely done that. You're at a thousand uh, hours of editing for 200 episodes. There's a thousand hours of editing. It may not be as much now. Cause I've, of course, I, I mean, I'll, this is inside baseball and I don't know if I'll figure it out. Sure. Yeah. I recently just figured out two major shortcuts that cut out so so much time for my editing. Like, so you're I, smarter now. I am. To be fair, it also only to works with fair. the way that we edit now. Sure, uh, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work with the way we were used to record. Um, Thank you, man, from Midway. Really well, the way we used to record was it was good because it was like the best quality audio we can get. But at the same time, like Brian, if, if this stays in, yeah, didn't know when we had six people recording, that was six individual audio tracks that this poor bastard had to find a way to sync. That's why our last episode of uh, oh. Uh, what movie was? Oh, Deadpool 2 never came out because it was just too chaotic. Oh, well, yeah, it was like, there's too much shit going on. It bled over, um, like, mm. all the different tracks bled into each other. I'm still, I still have two episodes of Andy Wilson month I'm trying to edit and go through. Um, really? Because the problem is, it's not so much having the multiple tracks because having the multiple tracks would normally be fine if they all line up. The problem uh. is is that they all slip and when you record over an hour, some tracks end up becoming longer, some tracks become shorter, and then if some people mute, this, mute themselves and then don't mute themselves, it shortens or lengthens them. I even had the same problem because we tried a couple times um, doing multiple tracks when we recorded Zoom as well because you can do that as an option. But the but don't. but don't. I mean, I guess you could. But the nice thing about Zoom is that it also records a track with everybody on it as well. Um, so it's the flip side of like losing my mind trying to move everything up back and forth and around or whatever, and then also just having you know like a cleaner recording. It's like I don't know. At a certain point in time, like yeah, if if we get a bunch of sponsors at some point in time and start, it's been two hundred episodes without a sponsor i know that's true maybe maybe that's my own stupidity right there maybe we need to start pimping cap casper mattress maybe i need to talk to a marketing guy about this fuck you, <laughs> fuck you. Fuck you. i mean if only we knew one fuck you. i know Technically, I've never been paid to do it. I just went to fucking school for it, but you know, working on that, working oh, on yeah. that. Just busting your balls, just busting your balls. I, I mean, know. I've never been paid to suck dick. I just went to the school of hard knocks for it. So, I mean, if you, right. your OnlyFans could make you a professional. I'm just saying. No, yeah, once you get paid, it time. means you're professional. Once you're paid, yep. I did make eight bucks. So yeah, hey, hey, professional dick sucker. <laughs> professional cocksucker has a better ring to it. It does. It no, does. if I could just say that with um, Ian McShane's voice. Mm -hmm. I, I can't do his voice. I, I I would try, but I can't even do you no. bitch on command. So yeah, right. But cocksucker, I can't. <laughs> cocksucker. Do it. I've actually never seen yep. Deadwood. I was I've just, seen about half of it. Yeah, <laughs> I just watched uh, the first episode of The Mandalorian because I'm finally catching up on that. Oh my god! Of, of, of the season, of season, of season, of season two. Okay, okay. And, so you've and, seen uh, and Timothy, Ol yeah, Timothy Oliphant's in that, and so I was like, oh man, I need to go. Yes. Like, I watched the first part of Deadwood, and then like I, I think at the time I was watching, I was in school or some shit. I was just busy. There's a lot of like so, I was just busy doing. Wait, 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 wait. I, I really enjoyed Justified. I really enjoyed Justified. By the way, it was silly, stupid. Oh, Justified's you know, amazing. Only. Yeah, but I really enjoyed. The thing is though. Goggins. Oh yeah, makes justified. I mean, crowd boy. Oh, no, he does 100. Is 
fabulous. It's like, why do you use two words when 15 will do? Yeah. I mean, that's Boyd Crowder and it's fantastic. And I'm like, I want to emulate that guy. I'm like, no, Todd, don't, because then I just sound like a rambling madman and I don't sound nearly <laughs> as poetic as Goggins does. Yeah. But no, I really enjoyed Justify. Oh, it's a funny guy. Even on the Santa Clarita diet with Drew Barrymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything I watched with Tim and the Elephant, except for maybe Die Hard with Vengeance, I've rather enjoyed. He's also good in his couple episodes. No, it's of, a good um, day to die hard. Good day to die hard. Die Hard with a Vengeance has. Was the third one? Yeah, Sammy Jackson. Yeah. yeah. No, but a good day to die hard with Kevin Smith, and uh, you've got Timothy Elephant as the villain, and you're just like. <sighs> What is this? Yeah. What is this? This isn't Die Hard. No, it's not. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, so next week we are we have two more weeks of our uh, female antihero book. Eventually, we're going to get women on this because uh, I'm planning on having Ellen on the show. We talked about having um, uh, Amy on the show as well. Todd, you need to talk to her about that. I'll follow up. Yep. To, to do uh, the new Catwoman by Joel Jones, but that's going to be after next week's book, which is Lenore, the cute little dead girl. Has anyone actually? Right. I've not read it yet. That was that was also one of my submissions too. Oh, was that your submission? <laughs> it was. That was an antihero. Were my two ones for this week. Have you read it this month? I have not. No, because it's actually on Comicsology's like individual uh, issues. Okay. For unlimited. Yeah, because I just like, I bought the full fucking collection, so we'll have to figure out exactly what issues we're actually reading off of that. I do have that. I can let you know. So. Oh, nice. I've done that one to you before. You? No, that's cool though. Ooh. It's a Joel Jones. I mean, it's it's a Joel Jones statue, so that says yeah. Joel on it. So, well, but this I, is her uh, wedding dress and the uh, Batman Catwoman wedding that wasn't. Yeah. Spoiler. But that is an amazing dress. I, I don't want to spoil it, but I'm going to say that your Christmas present has something to do with Joel Jones. Dude, you're just giving me a chubby. I know. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty fucking certain. Anyway. All right. Uh, so, uh, for the record, Lenore is the first five issues. Okay, you're doing the first Okay, five, five issues of Lenore. That's good yes. to know. Good to know, for Appreciate sure. Appreciate it. I'm sure Todd did the same thing I did and just bought the whole fucking collection. Yeah. Uh, I saw Emily the Strange, full collections, like, coming out next month. I haven't read any of it. I just heard a bunch about it. I, I remember it being all over fucking Hot Topic. Right. Oh, so, yeah, there's, like, that's a right, yeah. collection coming out yeah. next month. And I'm like, hmm. Uh, cool. Yep. Um, and then, uh, I'm going to just say it now. This is, I don't know, this is tentative, but I think it's sort of. Do it. So for April, we're going to be doing music month. Um, so we are doing. Yes. Archie meets kiss. Uh, the Fifth Beetle, which is about Brian Epstein. Uh, Bowie, which is by Mike Allred, uh, who did um, Mad Men, uh, Mad Man, and he also did uh, I Zombie as well. Um, and okay, doing, I like um, Phonogram, which is uh, the first book uh, by the team that brought us uh, Wicked, and Wicked and Divine. Yeah, um, yeah, it's Karen Gillan uh-huh. and McKelvey. Yep, Jamie McKelvey. Uh, yeah, they don't, they don't have the same colorist because it, it's not in color, to my knowledge. So I don't think Matt uh, Wilson colored that. Um, uh, but yeah, which is. Matt Wilson's amazing. He is, and also a hell of a nice guy, and recognized me and Todd. We saw him at two cons in two different states, and he He's like, I remember you. I'm like, why do you remember me? Yeah, we were shocked. It was pretty cool, actually. So, um, anyway, yeah, I have a lot of signed shit from him. Um, uh-huh. And then we're looking at May. We're looking at uh, May the 4th be with you, so I think we're going to be doing uh, Star Wars books. Yeah. And then June will be Pride Month, as always, and Adam is As far as I'm concerned, that. we can just have it be Dr. Aphra month. I mean, we have a Dr. Aphra book that I haven't released yet that we recorded with Andy Wilson as well. Um, I thought we did do that. No, we recorded it. I oh, okay. So we haven't released it. Yeah. Or maybe Dr. Aphra is the best thing to come out of Star Wars Marvel since it's I would been go with thing. Vader. I love the Vader stuff. Actually, there's Vader's a new Vader I started on that I haven't gotten fully into yet. So 
Karen Gillan's Vader is very good. I haven't read Sule's or anyone else's, so but I really enjoyed it. But Doctor Aphra, which spun out from Vader, oh Vader, right? yeah, that was yeah. a Vader character. So it was a Vader character that spun out from, but it's just wonderful. Yeah, Doctor Aphra's the bomb. Well, we won't re- make you read Dark Forces ever again. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, Captain. Okay, well then, uh, thank you all for joining us. Um, And that'll do it for this week, and we will see you all later. Bye! Bye! Find the damn button! Down with the button! Hold on, on, think. Do the button! You're setting up audio settings right now. Out, out, damn button! Do it! I literally, I I have my mouse on the button. I'm just waiting to see what other weird shit you guys say. (laughs) Do it.